Let's hit it. Booty Hoot Productions presents the Sports Deli Podcast, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Where we discuss the intersection between race and sports, mental health, leadership, and equality. To find out more about the Sports Deli Podcast, check us out online at thesportsdelipodcast.com. Women last year changed the course of this of this nation. Women are the backbone, and now we need to support the souls that they stand on. And now whether you're folding laundry, driving, exercising, or cooking, grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the Sports Deli. Auntie, take us away. <laughs> Hey everyone, Hoot, host and producer of the Sports Deli Podcast, and a special welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. And uh, if you aren't aware, typically our format is guest-driven. We do a lot of listening, and we've done a lot of learning. And we've had a few special additions to the Sports Deli Podcast, where everyone deserves a seat at the table, that uh, have centered around... Uh, Black Lives Matter, and Breonna Taylor, and Tony LaRussa when he was first hired, and uh, a couple of others. And so today, uh, I feel like I have a responsibility to discuss a couple of things, um, not necessarily in the order that of which they happened. So we're going to talk about the Chicago Sky, obviously the 2021 WNBA champs. I'm going to talk about Coach Wade and what an incredible human being he is and what an incredibly um, humble example he is to the black and brown community and some of the things that uh, he discussed in his press conference that I think are very poignant and uh, so important to the future of changing some of the narratives in this country Uh, and hopefully there's a lot of white people that can google that press conference and listen to what he had to say because it was so powerful and uh, you know coach Wade came on this show uh, earlier this year and shared some really uh, incredible things uh, in the sports deli podcast and uh, it was truly an honor to have him here and uh, I've learned a lot from watching him this year. And uh, so we're going to talk about him uh, as well as uh, what happened in that uh, final game-clinching Game 4 victory uh, against the Phoenix Mercury, as well as uh, my comments about Stephen A. Smith and uh, how he's been treating Kyrie Irving and the narrative that he's been pushing. But the more I uh, looked at various uh, news reports uh, regarding uh, this issue and thinking about the bigger picture and just the way that uh, my mind works now when it comes to uh, being a little bit more sensitive to women, to people of color, Uh, to the Asian communities and all the things typically that have happened since the murder of George Floyd. And we've pivoted with our show from talking simply sports 
to going a little bit deeper and talking about the intersection between race and sports, social injustice, white privilege, leadership, mental health, and equality. Um, and so when I looked at ESPN.com to see what some of the breakdowns were of Game 3 of the WNBA Finals, I couldn't find it at first glance. And that was a little bit confusing. And then I sort of gave ESPN a little bit of grace, and I said to myself, well, maybe they just haven't updated the website. Well, it's been several hours since the game ended where the Chicago Sky took a 2-1 lead and literally throttled, suffocated, demolished, woman-handled the Phoenix Mercury to take a 2-1 lead in the best-of-five series in Chicago before a sellout crowd where there were some unbelievable people in attendance from the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, to others. And so, and I'll talk about them in a second. And um, not to mention the historic finals that this has become between two of the greatest players in the history of the WNBA. Diana Taurasi for the Phoenix Mercury and Candace Parker, who came home from Los Angeles this offseason to join the Chicago Sky to try and bring home their first ever WNBA championship. And leading the Chicago Sky is James Coco Wade, who, uh, to be transparent, was on our show for a two-part series. Uh, it was an incredibly polarizing discussion, conversation that we had about a number of topics. And the more that I've gotten to know him and watch his team and uh, just see how he coaches and how he handles these amazing women and the game planning. Um, I've watched a lot of games in my 30 years of coaching, and he's right up there, right up there at the top in all those areas that I just mentioned. Game preparation, scouting, in-game adjustments, coming out of timeouts, uh, he has been spot on this year. And they started the season 0-7. And, and he has put a magical uh, team together with unbelievable chemistry. And an amazing defense. And so, uh, to my point earlier, I couldn't find anything on ESPN.com. I had to scroll down to three stories before finally arriving at the story about Game 3. You want to know what was above? ALCS Game 1 between Houston and Boston. Is that more deserving than Game 3 of the WNBA Finals? I guess you could argue maybe. Uh, the Cal Berkeley Bears, who are 1-4 going into this game, versus the 4-1 uh, top 10 ranked Oregon Ducks. That was the next story that was uh, on ESPN.com. Now this is the one that really gets me. The Philadelphia 76ers and Detroit Pistons preseason game. 
I think it might be the last preseason game, however. It should be noted. Very important as we head into game one of this 82-game season. And only then, and only then, do I come across, I guess at this point, a footnote, because how many people even scroll that far down? of Game 3 of the WNBA Finals before a sellout crowd in Chicago. And it was just unbelievable. I was so irritated and frustrated. And I was pissed. You know, and um, besides a sellout crowd... Besides two legends going up against each other, the fact that we're approaching the 50th anniversary of Title IX next year, and the fact that this is the 25th anniversary of the WNBA, and the first time that the Sky are hosting the WNBA Finals. And, I mean, I just can't tell you how uh, disappointed I was. Uh, in ESPN, which is not surprising considering their track record um, and the way that they create narratives at that network. Chicago quarterback Justin Fields was in attendance. Uh, I mentioned Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. Um, Chance the Rapper was there, hip-hop artist. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. And USA Basketball and DePaul women's head basketball coach, Doug Bruno, was there. I mean, there are so many different angles that, that ESPN could have taken. Then I read a story uh, from the AP about how Chicago played stellar defense en route to a Game 3 victory. Stellar defense? Phoenix scored 91 points in Game 2 in their overtime victory to even the series at one apiece. They scored 50 tonight. 50. Stellar. Phoenix shot the lowest field goal percentage in the history of the WNBA Finals. Stellar? Are you freaking kidding me? How about stifling? How about historic? How about um, arguably the best defense uh, in the history of the WNBA. Like, literally, how about, how about Chicago arguably could be playing the best team defense in the history of the WNBA? How about the fact that a woman is coaching the Phoenix Mercury and a black man is coaching the Chicago Sky? Like, how about, how about um, talking about so many different possible things and creating the correct narrative, at least one of the correct narratives, and instead ESPN has them on page four, and the AP said that they played stellar defense. The Pistons and Sixers preseason game was ahead of game three of the WNBA Finals. Like, truly unbelievable. Now, I'm a girl dad, and I've coached college basketball for 23 years. I coached men for 15 years. And this is my 15th year on the women's side. And I have educated myself a lot more in the last year and a half. I am much more in tune with things that I wasn't in tune with. 
But I don't understand at ESPN. If you have people that are of color, women, uh, men obviously, and people from all types of backgrounds sitting at the table, there's no possible way that they could come to the conclusion that on the first page of ESPN, where you have Coach Kingsbury testing positive, the Seahawks are going to put Wilson and Carson on injured reserve. The NFL finds no one else implicated in emails. The Eagles ship Ertz to the cards for Gowan and a fifth rounder. The Sixers' Simmons won't play in the preseason final. The Panthers' McCaffrey to miss third straight game. The Astros without McCullers for ALCS adds Ordorizzi. Brown's running back Chubb won't play versus the Cardinals. I don't care about any of these stories. None of them. And yet we cannot find the WNBA finals anywhere on page one. It's sickening. It's disgusting. And it's another uh, example of how women are marginalized. These women have been at the forefront of advocacy. And just a year and a half ago, they fought to raise awareness for social injustice. Brianna Taylor, and the others that have been murdered by police officers unjustly, and to bring attention and uh, unity in order to change policies and to raise awareness and to educate and to force professional sports to care about the person as well as the athlete. The WNBA, who single-handedly, along with a lot of people at the local levels, Stacey Abrams and others, changed two elections, two elections, forced an owner of the Atlanta Dream out because of their advocacy. And we can't get the NFL players to strike or even protest five years after Colin Kaepernick sacrificed his career and took a knee. The women of the WNBA deserve better. ESPN should be ashamed of themselves. Even the AP, who just simply puts out you know, quick blurbs about the results of games, etc., should be ashamed of themselves by using the word stellar instead of record-setting, stifling, historic, and making the WNBA women... A priority. So having said all of that, uh, after the Chicago Sky brought home its first WNBA championship, um, congratulations to Chicago, Chi-Town, Sky-Town. Uh, it was an incredible game for. Uh, again, the defense stepped up in the fourth quarter. Uh, unbelievable efforts that I'll talk about in a second uh, across the board. Um you know, by the, the, the mainstays of the Chicago Sky this, this entire year once they got healthy and uh, played their best basketball in the playoffs. Um, but uh, again, uh, ESPN uh, had the story of the uh, WNBA uh, after the uh, 
title was earned and the Chicago Sky were crowned uh, WNBA champs for less than half a day. So, you know, they just don't make it a priority. Uh, it's, it, it was even third or fourth down on the list on ESPN.com, even after they won the WNBA title, a historic WNBA title where the viewership went up 20%. Uh, I think the average uh, viewership was just under 600,000, which was up 20% from the year before and up almost 40% from the year before that. Uh, so, you know, the WNBA is doing some things right. Expansion is, is right around the corner. But as far as Game 4 goes, uh, Chicago was down big. And in the third and fourth quarters, they really turned it around. You know, Courtney Vandersloot, Hall of Famer, uh, most assists in, in a single postseason, 102. Uh, unbelievable uh, effort. She's not that crafty in terms of explosiveness and yo-yoing the ball. You know, she's just so solid. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I would say that on some level, uh, if she has a little bit more longevity, she might go down uh, as a better point guard than Sue Bird, quite honestly. A uh, little bit different player, but, I mean, I love watching Courtney play. You know, Sue's an unbelievable player. But, uh, uh, I, I, you know, maybe it's just because Courtney's uh, in my mind most recently. But, man, she has played just unbelievable basketball. And I know everyone's talking about Candace Parker. Uh, but, uh, you know, second most assists in a, in a finals game, 15, uh, speaking of Sue Bird, she's had, you know, has the record with 16. Um, Vandersloot was the first player, uh, to record double, double assists in four consecutive final games. I mean, just an unbelievable effort. And she played really that way all year. She had a lot of double doubles this year. Um, third all time and career final assists was 70. I mean, Candace Parker was amazing. She passed uh, Maya Moore uh, for second all-time in WNBA playoffs for 383 field goals made. Uh, obviously, Diana Taurasi, uh, the GOAT in many people's minds, uh, holds the record with 478 field goals made in the playoffs. Brittany Griner had her 100th career um, postseason uh, block. It should have went to her even more, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know why she didn't get more touches, especially down in the post. Um, and uh, Lisa Leslie's a leader there with 132. Uh, Allie Quigley was amazing, right, uh, in this final game. She had 26 points. She was 9 for 14 from the floor, 5 for 10 from 3. Uh, she was the leading scorer in the series, 18 points per game. And Candace Parker was phenomenal. You know, and, and it's one of my uh, uh, theories in terms of uh, determining success, especially in the playoffs. When you have at least four players in double figures, along with some other statistics, it's a pretty good uh, formula for success. And uh, the Sky consistently did that in three out of those four games. Um, so, you know, it was, just, it was just a great effort by Chicago, and they deserved it. I know Phoenix missed uh, three uh, layups down the stretch, and maybe Diana got fouled on one of them. Uh, and she was obviously upset after the game, slamming the door and breaking the door and stuff. But, you know, a uh, little classless, a lot classless that Phoenix didn't come to the press conference afterwards. You know, come to the press conference, you know, win or lose, you know, uh, especially because, 
you know, we just talked about how the WNBA, the sisterhood of the WNBA, the, the sorority of sisters, it's really about, uh, you know, winning, but it's also about the, the collective uh, vibration of the league as a whole and how they're such a strong band of sisters, you know, that that was a bad look. Um, uh, Kalea Copper was um, the uh, WNBA Finals MVP, and she was really the X factor. She was the catalyst. She was the motor. Uh, she made them go, you know, averaging 17 points and, and five and a half rebounds for the series. I mean, they, they didn't have an answer for her. So um, mad props again to the Chicago Sky. Unbelievable effort. And I also want to talk about um, uh, Coach Wade uh, just briefly because he talked about some things uh, in the press conference uh, that I didn't expect. Uh, and he's just a really humble guy and he's usually very quiet and his wife, Edwig Lawson Wade, um, you know, played in the WNBA and, uh, you know, Dan Hughes was at the game. Dan Hughes was the one that believed in him. Dan Hughes is a white guy. And before coach Wade was even coaching, uh, coach Hughes talked to him uh, one day and said, I think you'd be a great coach. And Coach Wade even laughed about it, you know, uh, and said, what? And then Coach Wade's wife said, you know, maybe he sees something in you that you don't even see in yourself. And that's how this thing got started in 2012. And for a black man uh, to win a, a WNBA title and to hear what he talked about uh, in the press conference was so moving and, uh, you know, he talked about some things on our podcast about being racially profiled on the airplane during one of the trips going to the Wubble. But he talked about some things. If you have a chance to Google it and listen to it, it's very powerful. He talked about some of the stereotypes in the black and brown community about how hard it is to get a seat at the table, uh, about how black and brown people are viewed uh, versus their white counterparts. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine being a black or a brown person and, and having to navigate these spaces in professional sports that are mainly run by white people. I just can't imagine it. And he talked about, you know, for example, wearing your hat backwards, uh, which I, I did a, a short video on TikTok. If you want to check that out, you can always look at my TikToks at Mike Hootner, as well as my Instagram at Mike Hootner, selfish plug. And he talked about uh, people that sag and wear their pants low, or wear hoodies, and, you know, how we have to change these narratives, and that he's not only an example to his son, but he's an example to all of the black and brown community, that you can come from where he came from, and make it to the highest level, and it, it can't be uh, overstated enough how uh, important it was for Dan Hughes, uh, who hopefully we're going to get on the show here pretty soon, uh, gave him a chance, saw something in him at a time in 2012 where we weren't talking about these types of things, you know, and, and we need more white allies. Uh, we need more uh, people in the black and brown community, black and brown men, uh, women of color to have seats at the table so that we can have all the sides and the angles covered when it comes to any issue that we're talking about. Uh, and so my hat is off to Coach Wade. 
and uh, just he's an incredible human being. I've gotten to know him over the last um, several months this season, um, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so happy for him and his family. You know, Edwig Lawson Wade, his wife, is an incredible human being, and he would not be where he is without her. Um, he's a family man. Uh, he's a genuine, uh, loving, um, unbelievably charismatic black man. And he's just someone that gets it. And uh, what he did with a team that was 16 and 16 going into the playoffs is unprecedented. It's just unprecedented. I know there's been some some sports teams that have been uh, very close to 500 that have won a Super Bowl or you know um, you know gone very far in the playoffs. But what he did to get them to continue to believe what Candace Parker did coming home uh, and 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 uh, helping her team win its first WNBA championship, uh, it was. I mean, I was in tears watching Candace run to her family after the game. And crying and 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 holding her child in her arms and hugging her family and and just seeing the 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 raw emotion, the thrill of victory. Um, but it was beyond that. It was more than that. It was um, just something you can't put your finger on, but you just know it was magical. And um, just to just to see them all come together. Uh, and if that is not the classic. Example: the epitome of the sum of the parts are greater than the parts themselves. Um, and uh, you know, the Chicago Sky had come close once before, about five years earlier, but they finally brought the championship trophy home to Chicago, and to do it in front of their home crowd, ugh. Uh, and they had you know some celebrities in the crowd that you know just made the the whole atmosphere amazing. The 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 sellout crowd was incredible. The um, trophy ceremony was was emotional and amazing, and so, uh, anyways, again, mad props, flowers um, to Coach Wade, Edward Lawson Wade, the assistant coaches, and uh, all the support staff, uh, and everybody involved with the Chicago Sky organization, and of course the players. Congratulations on your first ever WNBA title. The other thing I want to talk about is um, John Gruden. And so he's a pawn in all of this. Uh, for those of you that don't know uh, what's been going on, he got fired for emails that he sent over a seven-year period uh, to high up people in various organizations in the NFL that uh, were homophobic in nature, racist, attacked basically the LGBTQ community, um, owners, the commissioner, uh, the NFLPA president at the time. Uh, he, he just basically went in on women, the LGBTQ community, and, and uh, people of color. And so it just speaks to the larger issue of um, the NFL. It speaks to the larger issue of the NFL players not unifying and demanding more uh, so that the leadership positions, coaching positions, general manager positions, um, ownership groups have opportunities to have people of color in those positions. 
and instead the players have chosen to put food on their table. Tom Brady has chosen to be silent in all of this, which is his right. I've been critical many times about Tom Brady. I don't care that he attached his name to a coalition. I don't care that he's helped Antonio Brown out. I care that he hasn't said Black Lives Matter publicly and been very outspoken when it comes to the issues of social injustice and systemic racism. I think that that will go down in history in a way that he will not get a pass the way he's been getting a pass. I don't think he should get a pass. He has every right to do what he wants. But in the same way that we criticize Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods early on in their careers for not being more outspoken, there's no freaking way that Tom Brady gets a pass in my book. And as far as John Gruden goes, he's a pawn. It speaks to the larger issues with regards to the racist, good old white boy, I need to hire people who are going to make me comfortable network. Some things need to change. We need to put pressure on social media. The sponsors, like the Washington football uh, team sponsors did, and we need to put pressure on television so that we can change the way that uh, we go about business as usual. I do want to touch on what's been going on between Stephen A. Smith and Kyrie Irving. Stephen A. Smith, for those of you that don't know, works for ESPN. That's about all the credit that I'll give him at this point. Kyrie Irving is a phenomenal basketball player in the NBA. He's won an NBA championship with LeBron James, arguably one of the best ball handlers and uh, point guards in the history of the NBA. Kyrie Irving is an influencer. He is an advocate for social injustice, fighting against systemic racism, for women, raising awareness about mental health, and he continues to be marginalized, especially by Stephen A. Smith, and it's literally disgusting. The way that Stephen A. Smith too often because he has shown the other side to be sensitive to Naomi Osaka. And there are countless other instances where I have not disagreed with Stephen A. But it's so difficult to change, in particular, white people's racist views on the black and brown community. That's why I think he's doing, he being Stephen A. Smith, is doing such a disservice to the black and brown community, his own people, by criticizing the Kwame Browns and the Kyrie Irvings and chalking it up to, well, I give them credit when credit is due and I criticize them when I disagree with them. And I just think it is the wrong approach to change the disconnect and the two different sets of laws that still exist in black and white America. From small business loans, I spoke to someone who's going to be coming on the show soon um, who told me that it's so difficult as a black man to buy a home still in this day and age because they are questioning the funds in his account and probing him as to where the money came from. This stuff still exists. It still happens with education, with health care, 
and with any other systemic issue that exists still in today's society, even though life is better for people of color in many respects from 50 years ago or even 20 years ago, but there are still far too many things that are in place from voter suppression to disproportionate number of African Americans in jail for not only crimes that they didn't commit, but because they didn't get fair representation because of the color of their skin and because of their socioeconomic status, which is the most un-American thing. And so when you get a guy like that, Stephen A. Smith, who criticizes a guy, you may disagree with him. You may agree with Jamel Hill, who basically said, if you want to fight systemic racism, put aside some of the past atrocities, murders, lies uh, that have happened um, as a result of the American government, the CDC, uh, studies that have used people of color. They've been murdered, not only in the United States, but in other countries. And that's fine. But Jamel Hill said, if you want to fight systemic racism, you should take the vaccine. It's safe. There are exceptions to every vaccine, every flu shot, every medication. There's side effects. But yet we take most medications even if there's side effects. And so if you want to show other people of color that you're educated and that it is safe for the most part, then you should take the vaccine. So that's what Jamel Hill is basically saying. And a business has a right to protect its brand. I think the NBA has every right to mandate uh, a vaccine just like any business uh, or the state of New York. But the narrative that's been created is wrong in my opinion. And it should be Kyrie Irving is a strong black man. I am pro-choice. So I applaud him for standing up for what he believes in making an informed decision based on what he feels is best for him. That's what the narrative should be. This is an incredible uh, black man, influencer, advocate, has uh, done so much to help women, people of color, uh, raise awareness for mental health, and instead it's criticizing him, uh, saying that he should retire instead of giving him some grace to let him figure some things out in the same way that he took some time off for his mental health uh, a couple of years ago in, in the bubble. So I say that Stephen A. is a pretender, not a contender. He tears down his own people far too often. And I don't know what his agenda is. I don't know if it's ESPN's agenda. I don't know if he's doing it for ratings. He just thinks everything is a game. Um, but I personally am sick of it. I'm sure he could care less. I'm sure most of you could care less about my opinion, but I'm going to state it anyways. Because when it comes to the marginalization of people of color or any um, minority, especially people of color and women, I just can't be complicit anymore and sit around and not say something. So that's all I have to say about Stephen A. and Kyrie. I applaud Kyrie. I don't agree with him, but I applaud him for being the incredible black man that he is 
uh, and for standing true to his convictions. And if he changes his mind later, he's allowed to do that. We are allowed to change our minds. You and I have changed our minds plenty of times in our lives based on new findings or new information or coming to different conclusions or whatever the case may be with all the variables that are in place in this new normal that we're living in. Please give people more grace. Please allow people to take the time to make an informed decision. Um, if you have any questions, you have uh, any opinions about this, would love to hear what you have to say. Uh, but again, I just could not let tonight go uh, without talking about the ridiculousness of the media when it comes to the respect that the women of the WNBA deserve for everything that they have done, everything they've put on the line to do, uh, to sacrifice. They get paid way less money. They have to go overseas uh, during the offseason to make ends meet. They don't have any charter flights. Um, they have to sit in, in general business class like everybody else and maybe in first class, but they don't get their own flights, which is just literally ridiculous in and of itself. But with regards to what happened today and being on the verge of bringing the first ever WNBA title to the city of Chicago with so much history between uh, the, the, the Cubs and um, even the White Sox have a strong fan base and obviously the Bulls uh, and the Blackhawks and the Bears. And this, the city of Chicago has such a rich history in, in all sports. Now the WNBA has been added to that list where Chi-Town, a.k.a. Skytown, has brought home its first ever WNBA championship. So for Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. Remember, Black Lives Matter, stop the Asian hate, bet on women. Absolutely, 100% bet on women. Women deserve to be at the table where all decisions are made. And clearly that did not happen tonight at ESPN or at the AP. Until next time, remember it takes a village. Much love. Peace.